Let's look in Luke chapter 2, and uh, we're going to begin in verse 40. By the way, if you're listening to the podcast, welcome to the Beacon of Hope podcast. I'm here with all these students at Lighthouse Baptist Academy. We are in chapel, and today's podcast is our chapel service, last chapel service of the 2020 school year. All the kids said, yeah, yeah, they're happy about that. So that's good stuff. All right. Good deal. All right. Luke chapter two and look in verse 40. One of my students is throwing things on the floor right now. I have no idea why. But Luke, (laughs) Luke chapter two and verse 40. Uh, The child that this verse is speaking about is Jesus Christ. In this, in what we're going to read, he's 12 years old. Okay. So who's the child in this verse? Jesus. Jesus. All right. How old is he? 12 years old. All right, so let's keep this in mind. He's that, aren't you 12 yet? Yes. Pardon? Yes. yes, you're 12 now. Is anybody else 12? 12 going once, go 12 going twice. Okay, so you're the 12-year-old in the crew. So it says, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit. I like that. By the way, that's uh, my desire for you young people is for you to grow strong in spirit. And your, your spirit is the inner you. I want it to be strong. By the way, let me give you something because you'll get some bad information as you go through life and sometimes a little bit of bad influence coming in. Being strong in spirit is not being stubborn. Were you stubborn like this? I'm going to have my way. No, I'm not going to. That kind of stuff. That's not strong. That's actually weakness. Being strong in spirit is not stubborn. Stubborn's a bad thing. Sometimes people say stubborn and they say it. And, and if you understand both words, you, you catch this. They say it with pride, which is very fitting, um, because pride's not a good thing either. But they say, well, I'm just kind of stubborn. You ever heard anybody say that? And they say it like it's a good thing. Do you know that uh, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry? The Bible says it's one of the things that got the kingdom taken away from King Saul. Stubbornness. It's not a good thing. Stubbornness means, no, I, you can't make me do anything. No, I won't do anything. It's also the Bible calls it being stiff-necked. And so, um, so being strong in spirit is not being my way. That's not strength. That's just stubbornness. And that isn't strength. Strength of spirit means that you're, you're strong. You dedicate yourself to truth. I, used, I love something that Brother John Jenkins would say. I've heard him say it on more than one occasion. He, he would be talking about preaching about biblical standards and making a right stand, you know, doing the right thing. And he'd make this statement, especially if he had a bunch of preachers. He'd say, I believe everything that you all believe. I'm just not as mad about it. <laughs> what he meant by that was he didn't feel like he had to be attacking somebody over it. He said he would just stand. I made a comment to somebody the other day regarding standing as a church or standing as a, a preacher about uh, what you're going to give in to and what you're not. I said, real standing is not how loud you shout and how much noise you make and how much you talk about how strong and right-wing you are. Real strength is what you do when the pressure comes on. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's where it comes from. So my desire for you is for you to be strong in spirit. Also, I'll tell you what else being strong in spirit does. It helps you come back from things. You know, when, you, when you take a hurt in life and when things go wrong and sometimes things are very confusing and sometimes things are very painful, being strong in spirit allows you to come back. Right now, I mentioned to you I'm reading a book by Eddie Rickenbacker. Okay, it was autobiography, Eddie Rickenbacker. Rickenbacker Air Force Base was named after him. Amazing man. And where I am in the book right now, I've got a couple of great illustrations I'm going to be using in preaching out of this. But he got lost. He was in a plane that went down in the Pacific Ocean and he was stranded on a raft in the Pacific Ocean. I have that book that kind of goes with it. Okay, you do? Great. The... Uh, 
for 23 days, 21 or 23. I have to get back with the other now. But amazing. And he was saying on there, although he was by far the oldest man there, I mean, he was a, he was a pilot during World War One, And this, this crash into the ocean happened during World War Two, And so he was an older man. And all the men with him were early, you know, young men. But he said, I had no doubt that I was going to be, I was going to survive longer than anybody else. And it was my duty to help them. He said, because I had an experience nearly dying so many times. He had been in a plane wreck in Atlanta, Georgia before this. This is amazing. Broke up his ribs, broke his pelvis, broke his arm and his legs. He was hanging partway out of this aircraft that went down, his passenger aircraft. He was trying to wiggle himself loose because the pieces were crushing. And he hit a piece of metal and split his eyelid, his eyelid completely open. His eyeball popped out and was hanging on his cheek. Oh. And uh, I'd give you a different perspective on life, wouldn't it? And, and so anyway, when they got him out of there, they had to pop the eyeball back in and all that. Four months recovering. And he said he came so close to dying. He said he could see everything receding away. But he just determined to fight it, determined to fight it. And <laughs> cut himself loose, quit letting the doctors do what they were doing uh, to him at this point. And, and this is in uh, about 40, 1940, 1941. It was right towards the beginning of the war. And, and he, uh, instead, he said, I want an osteopath in here. And he started doing some things naturally and set himself up on a physical uh, like workout plan, which was unheard of back then, but he said that's the way you restore. And he came back to strength, and and that and he still had to walk with the cane some and that sort of stuff. So he had been busted up. But here's what he said: He said I had learned how to deal with this inside, and so what happened was he had strength of spirit. And uh, one fella gave up, and he got so thirsty. I don't know if you know this or not. But drinking salt water is a very bad idea. And this one fellow, they found out night he was leaning over the raft and, and drinking in the seawater, and he ended up dying. Unfortunately, he was the first one to die, and what he had done caused that. But Jesus was strong in spirit, having strength in your spirit. See, some things make your spirit weak. Stubbornness and, uh, and pride makes your spirit weak. Makes your spirit weak. Uh, you may think it's strengthening, but it doesn't. It makes you, it makes you weak. Sin makes your spirit weak. It's, it's like a cancer inside your spirit. It takes it away. It makes your spirit weak. What makes your spirit strong, of course, is uh, fellowship with God. And loving God makes your spirit strong. Let me tell you something else does. Being good to other people makes your spirit strong. Tell you something else. Praising God makes your spirit strong. It's amazing. I had a fellow one time. He was, uh, he, he was causing quite some trouble in the church. And he would sit there and he'd make faces at me while I preached. <laughs> And I've had that happen on more than a few occasions. We even do it every single service. Our, our building, this was the only building we had. And he sat right back, big faces at me while I preached. And he'd shake his head at me and all that sort of stuff. And you said, what do you do? And then I start singing. I'd always start to sing. I figured my singing could, it lifts my spirit and it'll run off anything. Uh, so I'd start singing, run if you want to, run if you will. But I came here to stay. When I fall down, I'm going to get right up. Because I didn't start out to play. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. Run if you want to, run if you will. But I came here to stay. Now you know I'm not a member of the choir. But I did that. He'd just go like that. And nobody knew why I sang that song so much. I did it because we were trying to make faces of me in the background. And then, uh, and then one day he went and quit making faces. So I looked back at him and I said, what am I going to do? And he was just, oh, I mean, he's going, and he's mouthing words at me. And I, I, I went to him and blew him a kiss. 
just totally freaked him out. He wouldn't look at me anymore the rest of the service. He said, what were you doing? I was trying to keep my spirit strong. So I was, I was being, I was, I was looking on the bright side. Thing, what did you do? I had to remember uh, and, and keep a happy spirit about things. I want you to have a strong spirit. Let's see what else happened here with Jesus. All right, look in verse forty. And the child grew and was strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. You can have wisdom at your age. Wisdom is not for older people. Wisdom is for anybody who will seek it. There's a lot of people. Uh, hey, wisdom doesn't come with old age. Sometimes old age comes alone. Did you know that? It just shows up all by itself and no wisdom attached to it. And uh, there's a saying in the world, there's no fool like an old fool. And uh, so he was filled with wisdom. You ought to to seek for wisdom. Are you seeking for wisdom? Why not? You start now, just think all the trouble you can avoid in life. How far ahead of things you can be? Pretty amazing. And so he's strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Thank God for that. Now his parents, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So all it was, was they were traveling up. You had the big get-together at, at the, up at the temple in Jerusalem for the Passover, a very important day of the year. And uh, when they traveled, they traveled as a big family group. Now, this is, this is amazing, but when, when I was a boy, we had what they called the Withrow Family Reunion. And so that was my family reunion from Withrow side, which was my grandmother's maiden name. And uh, on that family reunion, I can remember when we'd all meet down there in Kentucky, there'd be a hundred or so folks meeting together back then. So you had aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody. And you'd be running around and all of a sudden uh, somebody would call you over. And of course, you're very respectful to the adults. So you'd come over and they'd introduce you and I'd be a little guy. And, and the older folks at the time who may not have known you because we lived in Ohio and a lot of them were from Kentucky. They'd say, now which one's this? I still remember they'd all, this is Bonnie's boy. Okay, so that was me. I didn't have a name. I was Bonnie's boy. You know, so that was the deal with that. And so we would go and we'd all be playing and we would be around in the group. Now, if you can imagine, these Jewish families usually had a lot of youngins and they would travel together. And so they would be traveling together and going up to this feast. So here we are. Let's say, let's say you all were cousins, okay? And so you, 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 you all can still be sister since you're sister, but you're all cousins. And you'd be traveling together, so you may be walking along, and maybe instead of being with your mom, you all were traveling, and you all were walking with your mom. And they're all walking, but you, you know, 100, 200 people, and all you guys are cousins over here, and you're doing things, and you're doing what kids do, and you're traveling along. You're being good, but you're playing, and you're running up on the sides of the hills, and this and that. And you're teasing people's goats when you go past them and all that. But you're traveling as a group. That's what they did. Now, Jesus is 12 years old. And they're traveling as a group. They're going up to Jerusalem. 12 years old is a great age for these Jewish boys. And the reason why is they begin at that age to start learning whatever it is the trade is that their father has. So that they can start working with their father and be trained for what they're going to do for life. It's actually, actually a great thing. Now... People supposed or they thought that Joseph was actually Jesus' father. Actually, God was Jesus' father. And so they but Joseph raised him. He he was one who was the earthly, earthly parent to Jesus. And so Joseph, anybody know what Joseph did, what he did for a living? Yes, sir? He was a carpenter, all right? So he was one he built things. And so everybody um, would have thought that Jesus, when he grew up, he would be a carpenter. In fact, one time. When he was teaching, people didn't like to hear him. And then they said to him, is not this the carpenter's son? He said, what are they saying? They're saying, this guy's 
his family's a carpenter, so how's he teaching? He didn't come from a family of educated people and people who are priests and that kind of thing. In fact, he wasn't from the tribe from where the priest came from. He said, where'd he get these words? This is the carpenter's son. This guy's a house builder, not somebody teaching something. And so he's going up. He's 12 years old. It's important to remember that, that he's going to learn the father's business. So here we go. Let's pick it up in verse 43. And when they had fulfilled the days, in other words, as long as the feast lasted, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. All tarried means is that he waited or, or stayed back there. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. Don't think that they are irresponsible parents. There's a big group traveling together, and it would be very easy to lose track because you would just figure they'd be with another family member. Uh, Faith, you got left here, didn't you, the other day? A little while back. Wasn't that so? That's kind of scary, isn't it? Did you feel totally left behind and neglected? Don't worry. We weren't going to let anything happen to you, honest. We were going to auction you off on eBay if nobody came for you. Just so you know, see how much we could get out of you. And then we were going to give half the money to Nate just because of that. But yeah, I, I heard about that. I thought, that, oh, bless her heart. That's got to be one of the worst feelings in the world. Your whole family's gone. It's like, how did you forget me? You know? And uh, we did that. Do you remember uh, when the when we had one family here at the bars, they had so many kids and they'd forget Little Joseph at the time with that, remember that he got it was Joseph got left behind. Yeah, and they said it was accidental. I don't think so. I knew the kid, but anyway, Jesus they had left and they went back, and they everybody thought he was with somebody else, you know, and not unusual. I remember coming back from uh, some of these family get-togethers and maybe riding back to Ohio in the van with my uncle, my uncle uh, Ro and my cousin Barry because we wanted to ride together or something like that. And so you know you have a group going. So that's what they had going here. Let's see what happens. They don't know he stayed behind. So they're going down the road. They're walking and, and you know, heading on down there. And uh, verse 44, and, uh, but they, supposing him to have been in company, they thought he was with the group, when a day's journey, they traveled the whole journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. So they're at the end of the journey. It's time to stop. All the families are gathering together. And they say, we haven't seen Jesus. Where's he? Okay, we've got his brothers and sisters here because he had Jesus, of course, was the firstborn and Mary had not had any other children and his birth was completely different. But after that, everything was normal in life and, and uh, Jesus had, they were actually half-brothers, half-sisters, but they, they, Joseph and Mary had other children and they're looking. They said, wait, we don't have Jesus. Let's count the that We're missing him. Turn off. Where's Jesus? And so they start looking around and they go over to their cousins and, and, and no, and they go over to their acquaintance and no, we haven't seen Jesus. Oh my goodness, it's a evening time. Where's he at? We've lost one. And uh, so here he is. They're wondering where he is. So look what happens. Verse 45. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. Now think about this. They have traveled a whole day and it's not just getting in your car and driving. I heard a preacher tell a story once he and another preacher were, he, he was from over, over in this area in the Midwest. But they, <clears throat> they had been preaching out on the West Coast like up towards California. And they didn't fly. They rode together. And so he, one fellow drove about six hours and got up in the middle of the night. And he was driving. And he's heading, he's heading east. He's heading back this direction. And so they pulled off and got gas. And, and he said, okay, we're going to swap. Now I'm tired. Another fellow been sleeping. Another fellow took the wheel, got back on the highway. This was years and years and years ago. Things weren't like they are now for travel. And uh, he said, about five hours later, the guy woke him up and said, oh, no. He says, what? He said, I accidentally got on. It was nighttime, so he, he, said, he said, I got on going west. He had driven five hours back from the direction they came from. Oh. 
that hurts just to think about. Mm-hmm. I mean, like they had left California, whatever, six hours towards home, and, th- and this guy goes like, this guy gets on, gets on the wrong exit, goes five hours back. Because he didn't know he had the towns, or it's nighttime, he doesn't know whether he's going to East West. And you didn't, there weren't as many things along the road and stuff to give you indications, and you didn't have cars that had to anybody telling you inside. You, you're going back, okay? You had a dashboard, and you can get an AM radio if you paid extra. Okay, that was, that was it. Uh, you got to understand what this, these things were. But uh, anyway, I think that's amazing. But think about these folks. They're walking a whole day. They come to that evening. Okay, supper timer. Where's Jesus? Have seen Jesus? Where's Jesus? Haven't seen him? Where's Jesus? We can find Jesus. Where is he? Nobody knows where he is. Oh my goodness. Okay. Had a whole day's walk back to Jerusalem and trying to find out where he is. Then they get back there. Well, Jerusalem is uh, is a decent sized town, and uh, so they went to Jerusalem seeking him, which kind of tells me they're asking everybody along the way um, if they've seen him and such. Verse forty six. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple. So they had a day going out, a day going back, and a day looking for him. Can you imagine how scared they would be by then? Have you ever seen when some of the real little ones get loose? And by the way, you little bit older uh, youngins, which is all of you in here, you always watch for that. If you see one of your all's little brothers or, or sisters or somebody else's little brother or sister start to follow you out that door and nobody knows they're going out, you make it your business to make sure they get back in this building and get killed out there in a hurry. You can't see them. You can back a car out right over top of them. That would be horrible. So you do you do your best to help with that, you know. And so anyway, they they get back here. And can you imagine how scared they'd be? Three days. Where is he? What happened to him? All kinds of thoughts going through their minds. What in the world happened to him? Uh, with that, and uh, my goodness, I scared my mom so badly one time. I was very very good. Uh, what really was as 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 a young person, and then even as a young adult, I had a lot of freedom. My mom, she rewarded. For, uh, responsibility with freedom. The more responsibility you showed, the more freedom you got. The more you acted like an adult, the more you were treated like an adult. That was a great system. And, and so I had a lot of freedom. I, I did, but I would tell mom. I was going somewhere, hey mom, and I'd tell her, hey, we'll go, you know, but as I got up older, hey mom, I'm planning on going over. There was places I normally go. Okay, and if I was out somewhere, listen to this, even when I came back after my first year of college, I moved out on my own when I was 17, paid all my own bills, lived for a whole year 1,200 miles away from home, took care of all my own stuff. When I moved back home for a short time before I ended up transferring colleges, when I would go out, I'm already living as a young man, taking care of myself. Hey, Mom, I'll be back at such and such time. If something happened, wouldn't I would call her ahead of time? And by the way, we weren't carrying cell phones around. I'd find the phone and I'd call her and I'd say, Hey, Mom, I'll be about an hour later. So I don't want you to worry about it. You say, Why? Because that's how you treat people you care about. Amen. That's how you do. Now, this nonsense of them not knowing where you are, it's disrespectful, it's unkind. It's, it's a very bad thing to do. And uh, you know, never do it. And so I, I did that. Now, here's what happened I didn't do it. I always did. I didn't do it. Now, I was doing something very important. My, uh, my cousin Barry and I were standing out throwing rocks at a, a pole light, at a light, a pole with a big light on And we were throwing rocks at the pole light and then throwing rocks up to see if bats were chasing. So it was real important what I was doing. But we were out there just talking stuff. Hours went by, didn't think about it. I looked out and said, oh, good night. 
oh my goodness, I can't believe how late it is. And we're both at that time, like I'm 18 at that time. I've already lived out on my own for a year. My cousin Barry's 19 now. And I said, I better get home. And so we went home. And for some reason, I don't know why, my cousin Barry was with me. And we got there. And I didn't call my mom because it was so late. I said, man, do I wake her up? It was one of those decisions you make. Man, do I call and wake her up? Is she scared? So we get home. And as I pull in, the light's on in the kitchen, big old farmhouse I grew up in. My mom's sitting there curling her hair. My mom didn't curl her hair at that time. And I thought, every day, that's not good. Now get this, I'm 18 years old. I've been living on my own already. I pay my own bills. I'm a decent sized individual as far as as big as I ever got. So I'm not, I'm not a kid. And I come up and Barry goes, uh-oh. I said, uh, I said, yeah. So I go in and my mom, she comes out on the porch and uh, she looked at me, and before she said anything, she said, where have you been? And I could tell she was angry. And forgive me, but the whole scenario was so strange. I'm standing there, I'm a decent size kid. I mean, I'm the size I am now, and I'm like, I'm standing there like this. I'm like, um, and I started to laugh. Not a good move. I said, my mom goes, Pow! And she hit me in the shoulder, so it didn't hurt me. I mean, she went trying to punch me in the head, but she hit me in the shoulder and knocked me off the porch. My cousin Barry, he's like, hey, Aunt Bonnie, and she goes, you hush your mouth. He's old enough to speak for himself. <laughs> and, like, and she goes, I didn't know where you were. Oh, my goodness. And then later on, we laughed about that for years afterwards. When I, I'm an 18-year-old young man who's been out living on his own. My mom punched me and knocked me off the porch, which was kind of a funny thing. But can you imagine how worked up they were at that time? Let's see if that's if that's really what happened. I think it is. Let's let's look. Of course, I read ahead, so I got a little advantage here, right? And so they get back and they're looking for him, and uh, they were seeking him. Then wait a minute. In verse forty-five, they find Jesus, and when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. Look, verse forty-six, actually, where they find him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him. Where was he? He's in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors. These are not doctors like. What do surgery on you? These are what are called doctors of the law. These are the men who helped rule the nation, who helped them decide laws and policies. They spent their whole adult life studying the scripture. They were doctors of law. I, I have two degrees. I have what's called a bachelor degree and I have a graduate degree. They're, they're both in uh, theology. In other words, a big part of what my degrees are in is in study, study the scripture and that sort of thing. These are men who have their whole life studied the scripture. And here's, here's what was going on with them. Jesus is 12 years old. And he's sitting in the midst of them. Suppose, and I know, I know he's not doing as well now, but suppose that you came in the room and here sitting in a circle, Brother John Jacobs, Brother Bob. Myself, when was, uh, I know he's at home with the Lord now, but suppose maybe a year or so ago, Brother, Brother Hill, Brother Larry Smith, Dr. Evans, we're all sitting around, very serious. And right in the middle of it, there's Wesley. And you wonder, what's he in trouble for? <laughs> right? And what'd he do now? And so, yeah, there you go. <laughs> about people getting in trouble. But, they, uh, uh, but you go and you come in and you kind of sidle up a little, sidle in, you kind of 
And you come up trying to hear what's going on, and you find out we're all sitting there very seriously, the whole group of us, and we're asking questions. What do you think about this? And he's giving us answers. And then he's asking us questions, some of which we can't even answer. I don't know about y'all, but I would officially kind of freak out, you know. I mean, that, can you imagine? But think about that. He's 12 years old. Can you imagine the group of men I talked about sitting there and him, not just sitting there talking to him about general things, but talking to him about things of the law. And suppose, suppose we're sitting there, and suppose uh, uh, Brother, Brother Larry Smith says, uh, well, what, what, what does this passage mean? And then Wesley explains it. And then suppose Dr. Jenkins looks over at him and says, what does this mean? Then he, he, he tells him about What then? Can you imagine this? That's what Jesus did. He's 12 years old. It's a little different than we are, isn't it? And so let's look at it here. Watch real carefully. So look what happens. He's in the midst of the doctors at the end of verse 46. Look carefully at your Bibles there. Both hearing them and asking questions. And all that heard him were astonished. Which means they're like, whoa. They were astonished at his understanding and answers. Overwhelming. What's going on? This is an amazing thing going on. And when they saw him, they were amazed. But look what happens with his mom. Remember what I told you about when you can't find somebody or, or mom getting upset? Look at this. It says, when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, son, why hast thou dealt thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have thought, sought thee sorrowing. And she said it more clearly than that. I kept stuttering. But here's what she said. She sees him and everybody's sitting there amazed at his wisdom. But what's his mom do? What are you doing? Do you have any idea? Do you have a clue what you just put me through? Have you ever heard talk like this coming your way? What's the matter with you? Are your brain cells practicing social distancing? Please, please make me believe that you're paying attention because right now it doesn't seem like. Are your brain cells practicing social distancing from each other? What's going on? That's a mom's response, isn't it? Wow. My mom was a little different. She never yelled about things. She just goes, pow. Yeah. But then, good night. What are you doing? Do you know why she did that? Oh, man, if you'll get this, you'll get the whole message with this part of the message. Because moms think they are very personal. Because they love you in a way you cannot understand at your age. That's not because you don't. It's just because you cannot. It's not possible to at your age understand. It's totally different at a different level. And she takes it personal. Why did you do this to us? Why are you doing this? She took it very personal. You'll do something... And your mom will take personal. She's like, why'd you do that to me? And you're like, I didn't do that to you. I wasn't trying to do Yes, you did. Every time. Every time. It's very personal. Give me something here. Oh, there we go. I was going to say, don't push that too far the way you're doing it now. Terry. Um, don't hurt your moms. Don't hurt your moms. Make a choice now. Be good to them. Always be good. And uh, be good to them. And. And uh, it's not your job ever to uh, uh, do anything to help fix or help do this or help do that. And your moms, most of your moms are people. I know them. And uh, they'll have their strengths and their weaknesses and uh, their things that are good and the things they struggle with are people. But don't hurt your moms. 
You won't be glad that you did. If you ever do, you do, do the right thing. Hey, you know what would be so neat? I would love to see, and I think we have a real potential for it here. I'd like to see a young generation come on here that decides to be a blessing to others and not a burden to others. Now, you'll hear these words and understand them later, but I'm going to give them to you now. When you get older, there's enough burdens in life. You don't need to add to that. When you're trying, there's a lot of different pressures and complexities that come on as you get older. When you're trying to take care of your family, trying to do some things. You don't need, don't need the burden of, of a youngin that's causing hurt on top of it. What if we just decided to be helpful instead of hurtful? And so they were upset. And uh, it's kind of amazing, though. Look what was happening. She took that very personal, didn't she? Look in verse 49. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? He said, Why are you looking for me? Wished ye not. You see that little phrase? That means, didn't you know? Didn't you understand? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Hold on. Everybody would think Joseph was his father, but it's not. The father is his father. And so guess where he is at 12 years old? He's in the temple talking to those who are dealing with the Word of God. Because you know what he's doing at 12 years old? He's starting about the Father's business. This is why he's on the earth. Not to be a carpenter. It's to be the Savior. And he said, boy, I bet they didn't understand that. No, and we wouldn't have either if we'd been standing there. Look in verse 50. And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. He made that statement and all the adults are like, what's he talking about? I'm going to be about my Father's business. My Father's a carpenter. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. But he did. But look what he does. Now, listen. Do you understand that Jesus is smarter than his parents? You get that? I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about. He's smarter than Do you know that neither Joseph or Mary could have sat down and talked to those doctors of the law like that? So at 12 years old, he's smarter than his parents. Do you understand? He's wiser than his parents. This is Jesus. Um, do you understand? He's more powerful than they are. This is God in the flesh. I remember one time we had Luke. There was a, a relative of ours who was just being a little strange and sometimes was. And Luke was young. He's a young guy. He's probably about your size, Mike. Maybe not quite that big. Definitely was your age. Uh, he he was there, and uh, this relative sometimes it just did things that weren't real real smart, not real bright, and be very kind of. And I remember they were talking, and they were almost in his face and talking in a way that was kind of strange. And I still remember him as a young boy, one eyebrow up, looking at them. And he didn't say anything. He was talking to be respectful, but the look said. You're being stupid. Get out of my face. <laughs> there was an old saying that you would have you to hear among some of the folks that came from Kentucky. If there, was a, if there was a young person that seemed to be very intelligent, they'd say they'll never be able to raise that child. But they'd say what they're saying. The, 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 the young was, you heard that? 
younger. Yeah, yeah. That the the youngin was smarter than the parents. They'll never be able to raise that child. In other words, in about about third grade, he's going to go past his parents. And and so Jesus was smarter than his parents. Now that's an area you don't have to worry a whole lot about being like Jesus. You're not going to be that far ahead of everybody. Yeah. Hopefully, you don't come into a time of life. You don't have to come into a time of life. This is, Unfortunately, many people do where you think you're smarter than everybody who's lived before you. It's always amusing to those of us who have a little bit of age on us to hear somebody who's been around 14, 15, 16, 20, 22, 25 years make their big statements. Oh, I know this. And you're looking at them going, really? Keep going down the track of life. Well, you may, not, you may find out you don't know what you think you know. When you've lived about three, four times the amount of time you've lived, you might find out they ain't just quite like you think they are. But anyway, all of us have to learn those things as we go through life. But Jesus did know. That's the thing about him. There wasn't no bluff about it. But look what he does. Look how great our Lord is. Look what he does. Verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. That's the town in which he was raised. And was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Mary was a very wise lady. She would think on things. It was one of the characteristics of her. She would, she would think about things. She was a very uh, strong and calm lady. She would, she would think about things. She wasn't always flying off the handle about stuff. So it was pretty neat. Although she did kind of lose it there when she couldn't find her son for three days. You know, that was, that was a bit taxing. All right? and, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So he kept growing. But here's the thing about it. Notice what he did. He was subject unto them. He, he was smart. He was wiser. He was stronger. He's God in flesh. He is about his father's business. But you know what he did? Jesus did what he always did. He did what was right for his particular situation. And as a 12-year-old young man, he was supposed to be subject to his parents. So he went home and he was a good 12-year-old and was a blessing to the household instead of saying, I'm God in flesh. No, that wasn't him. He did things the right way. That's because he was right and he was strong in spirit. Pretty interesting, isn't it? I absolutely love it. Let me pray with you all. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be with the youngins this last time in chapel. I pray you bless them. Give them a great day. And Lord, I pray that you'll give us a good day in serving you. Amen. All right. Let me shut this here off. Amen.